Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Your Bat is Dead, a Gotham Knights podcast from Nerds and Beyond. As always, I am Jules. I am a content assistant and editor here at Nerds. And I am Mel. I am a writer here at Nerds. And we are coming back after a week away with so many awesome guest stars, so much to talk about. One of our guest stars is very long awaited uh, by a certain Mal, uh, who has been vocal about her excitement. (laughs) I'm going to try not to screech loudly in everyone's ears, okay? I'm trying to keep in mind that people may be listening to this on headphones you're right they, you're right and they don't need me squealing at them but just so you know it's there it's in my chest i'm suppressing it <laughs> we must think of the headphone users <laughs> always <laughs> but i mean there's a lot to scream about to be fair this episode was really good especially from an acting standpoint we can certainly get into it but i feel like all these characters really had a moment to shine and everyone's kind of heading down different paths which is so interesting yes and we really got like a bunch of really good character moments in this episode. I'm going to be that person that pauses us awkwardly because I have a cat invasion. <laughs> Give, me, <laughs> Give yes. me a second. A cat invasion. He's like climbing around in the dark, banging into things. Are they not supposed to see in the dark? <laughs> Give me a second. I will not be editing this out. I need the world to hear about the cat invasion. <laughs> There we go. I'm fairly sure that cats are supposed to be able to see in the dark, but <laughs> apparently mine is just stupid. <laughs> so. I was hearing these banging noises. I'm like, it's either a ghost or a cat. Hmm. Well, I uh, see. I would have bet ghost and just been like, eh, we'll, we'll let it be. <laughs> if I leave it long enough, maybe the Winchesters will come. I'll be fine. <laughs> I'm perfect. <laughs> All right. What was I saying? <laughs> you were saying how excited you were about uh, a certain guest star this week. Yes. And about the performances from everyone this week. Yes. So <laughs> we really did have some fantastic character moments this week, which I think really showed off the acting chops of some of our young actors that we have. Um, and of course, we have to talk, and I will spend a long time talking and referring back to um, just the absolute like gravitas of Doug Bradley in yes. this episode. Yes. Um, we'll get to talk about him a lot because he is a good chunk of the episode. Oh, yeah. He was he was a true special guest star. You know, like sometimes you have people who show up for like one scene and they advertise it to be more than it is. But this was actually he was in this episode more than I thought he would be. Yes, I was super pleased. Um, I did see I think it was um, James, one of the showrunners, who was saying that they actually did all of his scenes in like one day. That's incredible. So he was literally like nine pages and he just was rattling it all off. No <laughs> no mistakes, just flawless, as you would expect from horror movie royalty like Doug Bradley. Yes. An absolute icon who who can play a villain so easily <laughs> in yes. practically in his sleep. And he does it like without overacting as well. Like he's very subtle with it. He just has the the weight to be able to carry it off with just the subtlest of looks and slight changes of tone in his voice. Um, which I was really, really interested to see him have an American accent in this, because for anybody who's not familiar with Doug Bradley, he is definitely not American. <laughs> <laughs> um, the accent was very different to his usual accent. I thought he did really well, actually. I saw a reference yeah. um, in some interviews I was reading with him that he did it without a voice coach um, and cool. just yeah, did, just did it himself. And I think he did a really good job. I don't think it was actually noticeable. I didn't notice any like slips or anything. I was very impressed with that. His voice acting is actually something that I think is kind of underappreciated for Doug Bradley. A lot of people um, who do know the name will know him as Pinhead from the Hellraiser 
franchise, um, which I'm a huge horror movie fan. So just knowing that he was going to be in this immediately sold me. If I if I hadn't been going to watch the show, I would have watched the entire show up until this point just so that I could watch Doug Bradley in it. <laughs> luckily, they had me anyway. But um, I would have watched it just for that. He also has um, like a YouTube channel where he it's 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 quite a small one, but it's really really lovely. I would love it if people went to check it out <laughs> after hearing this podcast. But he reads um, like horror stories, like you know, famous like Frankenstein, all these kinds of things. Oh, that's so and cool! His voice is just amazing. Like he just has one of those voices that you could just listen to for hours. Um, and he has done a lot of uh, like audiobooks and things like that because his voice is just so impressive. Um, obviously, when people think of Hellraiser and the main character, really, well, main baddie, um, Pinhead, they they clearly, you know, they think of the mask with the the pins coming out of it and mm-hmm. the, the whole like Cenobite look. Um, and I think that detracts from the true gravitas of who he is, which is is all in that voice for me, um, which we definitely saw in this episode because he did some very interesting things with his voice during that scene which when we get there i'm trying to hold back but i'm not doing well so far <laughs> that is okay we will we, we will have so much time to talk about him because i think his character is a really interesting um one to bring in at this point in the journey for our characters because i think it's for for duella and for turner he signifies different things um and by the end of the episode they've kind of almost flipped in the way that they think of joe chill so i'm very excited to talk about um what his appearance meant for our other characters as well yes okay so let's let's start with the beginning of the episode and i promise i will try not to mention him <laughs> again until he actually shows up <laughs> So, a chill in Gotham. Uh, so we we start our week with the Gotham News Now segment, um, letting us know that Joe Chill um, is slated to be executed. He's He's been on death row for 50 years, which is almost impressively bad. <laughs> like, <laughs> I... I don't know a ton about how those things work in the in American reality, and I'm sure there are plenty of people out there who have been on death row 50 years because there are people like you know fighting to get them out of it uh-huh. or whatever. Um, it doesn't appear that Joe Till really had anybody fighting to get him out of this. However, um, it kind of seems just like he was just left there to rot, <laughs> which yeah, is it's, uh, and it's and it's almost like the timing is sort of suspicious. Like, why execute hmm. him now? <laughs> I wonder why. What purpose could that serve? <laughs> so yeah, 50 years, um, and then uh, 50 years, and he gets coined all of a sudden. <laughs> Is that what we're going to call it now? Is it now a verb? You're, you, yes. You got coined. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I love it. <laughs> so quick recap for anybody who is not familiar with Joe Chill and doesn't remember the mention in, I believe it was episode one. Joe Chill is apparently <laughs> the murderer <laughs> of the Wayne parents so let me just get this head around it would be Turner's adopted grandparents Batman's yes. parents um which effectively makes him the creator of Batman so depending on how you look at it him murdering <laughs> them was kind of a good thing <laughs> if, if you're if you're if your name is Duella um you think it's yes. awesome <laughs> I might I might be coming down in camp Duella for this one <laughs> What? Oh my God! Are you kidding? You're agreeing with Duella? Really? <laughs> and, Me? As if we couldn't tell from this po- the entire podcast that we've created so far. <laughs> We're team Duella on this one. <laughs> yes, she can do no wrong, and she is clearly always right. Yes, <laughs> so. obviously. <laughs> so the shocker here is that after 50 years on death row and him getting coined, 
he has a request, uh, a last request, and his request is that he wants to talk to the kid who killed Batman. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> Which is one heck of a last request. I almost admire it for the stay of execution that it is because the fact that they have to like first of all in order to make it happen they would have to hunt down turner somehow you know just put this whole plan in motion it's like that could take a little while buddy <laughs> that might not yep. happen right away yeah it was quite bold like the audacity of this man is to be admired i like it <laughs> <laughs> so uh, i also think it's interesting that he he called harvey dent in there to deliver mm-hmm. that information now i don't know if that's because he was aware of a connection between Harvey Dent and Turner, um, or Turner Wayne, as he initially refers to him, though he does get corrected later on, mm-hmm. which is which an is interesting, interesting point. Yeah. Um, or if it was just because he's the DA, but then generally I know we've 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 got some we've got some lawyers out there in the fandom because they've commented on our posts on the podcast <laughs> and stuff before, um, and some attorneys and such. So let me know. But I don't think that generally the DA is just like wandering around in jail taking like last wish statements from people. Like I just don't think that's part of their job purview generally. <laughs> it's not in the job description. Although I the thing about Gotham in general is that like everyone's job descriptions are a bit blurred. Everyone's oh, yeah. Kind of- there's, yes. there's just so much blurring of those lines. And it, it would make sense that Harvey would be involved just because he's such a high profile prisoner. And clearly, you know, even though Harvey has a connection to Turner, he also had a connection to Bruce Wayne as well. So it yes. makes sense that he would be involved in the situation, even though I would think yet again, he should be removing himself from the situation because of all the connections he has to the Wayne family. But yes. we'll, we'll just ignore that for now. <laughs> I mean, it's it's comic book logic. I love the fact that we can work with comic book logic and like all of these things we can just kind of shrug because it's established mm-hmm. that in this universe, they can kind of do whatever, you, whatever they want. <laughs> like, yep, exactly. Like this, this wasn't a, uh, a like a Gotham Knights CW show specific thing. It's already established that they can bend these rules as much as they need to. And generally, <laughs> they do a pretty good job of it. They they kind of give you some explanation for things. They make most things feel very logical, which I do oh, yeah. appreciate. But I also just love the drama of it that obviously it has to be Harvey Dent who he wants to speak to. Like, of course. Give me, give me that. Give me that drama. I'm here for a TV show. So Harvey's already got enough drama in his life. I think if you asked Harvey, Harvey would ask for a a touch less drama. (laughs) Just a little. I also think they need to start putting out PSAs on uh, Gotham News now, uh, just letting people know that they really need to not be speaking to police officers, DAs, like whoever, (laughs) without a lawyer present. Um, because there's just an epidemic of it in this town. <laughs> well, even, even frankly, with a lawyer present, your lawyer is probably getting paid off by some owl somewhere. True. So really, you True. should just, and I'll say it again, leave Gotham. <laughs> <laughs> I but if know, you leave there's... Gotham, you wouldn't get to see the dirigibles every morning. <laughs> I'd move yeah. there just for that. <laughs> That's how they get you, Mal. That's how they keep you invested, is the dirigibles. <laughs> Lured in by dirigible. I can see it happening. <laughs> but then, I think aside- if, if we get a season two, I think that's going to be one of my goals in life now, will be to somehow audition, get myself in to be an extra on this just ju- on this show, just so I can sip coffee and look up and see a dirigible up ahead. That, that's, that's, my, that's my new goal in life. I, I really hate to disappoint you, Mal. I don't know that the dirigibles are like a tangible thing that exists on a set. I have a great imagination. They'll tell me to watch a dot in the sky. I can watch a dot in the sky. <laughs> 
You you heard it here first, Gotham Knights producers. Mal would like to see a dirigible <laughs> in real a dirigible life, please. Uh, I can't help it. I'm a simp for the dirigibles of all things. Put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> dirigible simp. That's me. <laughs> New Twitter handle coming right up. Okay. <laughs> so after my weekly dirigible update, um, <laughs> we're moving on to the quiz bowl we got yes! this amazing little like tv segment also um, almost um which was a quiz bowl advertisement showing us the master of clues arthur brown woohoo and another great guest star we had was ethan embry um which is amazing he he was actually i w- i can't wait to see more of this character because the little tease that we got was like very interesting to me yeah i really really liked him i love how Again, they've made him look very much like they've given him the feel of Clue Master from the comics. However, mm. he's got his own little twist. I love it. I saw somebody say that they got a um, like a Xenophilius Lovegood vibe from him. So <laughs> deep cut, unless you're a Harry Potter fan, honestly. But <laughs> a little. But he's more focused. He, yes, he's he's yeah. more focused. But he's got that like slightly like you're talking to him, but you feel like his head is doing something else. Yeah. <laughs> So I could see where that came from and I did appreciate it. Um, but yeah, I really loved it. Loved the little ponytail. Loved yes. that the ponytail was also replicated in Lego. So my, we- <laughs> my weekly Chad shout out begins because that model was perfection. I loved it. And I loved his chemistry with Stephanie as well, um, because it's so different than the scenes that she had with her mom. But like, like they're both equally unavailable to her emotionally, but like in different ways. Like you can tell that Arthur is just pulled to his work a lot and like very clearly like leaves a lot of Stephanie's life to Stephanie. Like he doesn't really oversee her all that much. I do appreciate yes. that he immediately just thought that the teachers at her high school are handing their students these uncrackable ciphers for like just a regular homework assignment. That was so funny. He didn't even question it for a minute. <laughs> yep. So she's in there like telling him all these different things that she's tried. Like she's tried the she's tried Enigma, she's tried Pollux, she's tried all these things. And he's just like, Oh yeah, this sounds like a high school assignment. <laughs> <laughs> and the fact that she did tell him straight up what it was for. <laughs> Just which which is you know interesting to me because it's like okay does he really not know what she's up to like did her saying that tip off any alarm bells and he's just choosing to ignore it for some reason or is yes. he really genuinely that clueless I can't imagine that he does uh, clueless I didn't even mean it. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <sorry>. <laughs> oh terrible puns um but like genuinely it seems like if they are going to go in the direction where he's a bit of a villain there's no way he wouldn't know you know about some mm-hmm. of these people. Yes. And it's interesting because while we've seen little iterations of Clue Master before, we've also seen a little bit of Stephanie Brown. I think um, I think she was in a Batgirl episode. Somebody somebody out there correct me on that if that's wrong. But I think we saw her on screen a little bit in a Batgirl episode. Um, otherwise, she's mostly been in the comics, but she does have quite a strong history in the comics for them to, to draw from. And they've like from what I read of Stephanie's personality and things like that in the comics, they've kept her pretty true to that, which is interesting because in the comics, the relationship that um, Stephanie has with Arthur Brown is very interesting to me. <laughs> so uh, Clue Master, not, not the Riddler. I'm going to come out here and say this. I have seen a couple <laughs> people being like, it's the Riddler. No, there is, there is a difference between um, the Riddler and Clue Master. Riddler leaves riddles um about the crimes that he has committed whereas clue master leaves 
clues, <laughs> which doesn't sound like much of a difference, but actually they are, they are very different people. <laughs> do, do you think that they get into fights about each other ripping off the other one's act? Like, excuse me, I was here first leaving clues all over the place. And then you come in here My with clues. your riddles. <laughs> yes. <laughs> do they ever team up? I have to know. Like, like what happens I with the Riddler and Clue I don't recall ever reading a universe where there was a team up, but I kind of need that now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, somebody get on that. As a non-comics yes. reader, I demand a Clue Master Riddler series, please. If any comics fans out there are aware of that existing in any any of the arcs universes, like please let me know because I want to read yeah, it. Yeah, let us know. <laughs> but in like this is going back right back to those solid detective comics, which is where so much of Batman lore originally came from, because this is kind of back in like the the sixties and a lot of our kind of core. Batman tropes that we see repeated throughout different uh, movies, comic book arcs, all of them kind of came originally from that detective comic area. Um, so in that, I, I don't know, I, it's one of those things I don't know whether to explain in depth or like let it be a surprise for the people who who <laughs> who are really interested in Stephanie because I am keeping such a close eye on her character at this point. <laughs> so in those comics where Clue Master is is she, the, the the relationship of between the two of them is slightly different in that he is very absent because he spends a lot of time in prison when she's young in the original comics, which definitely doesn't seem to be the case here. Um, it seems like they actually have quite a close relationship up until this point. Um, that you know she is upset that he's been spending so much time working doing his his quiz yeah. ball thing, but that she very much has a connection with him. Probably because, you know, extra, extra especially because of everything that's going on with her mom at home. Mm -hmm. um, I imagine she is kind of a bit of a daddy's girl in that way, possibly, where she feels yeah. like she is the one caring for her mom in some ways. Uh, but in the comics, um, he comes out of prison and he's still committing crimes. But he's not he's not leaving any clues or, or anything like that that could tip off um, any of the authorities, Batman, anything else. Um, but when Stephanie discovers this, she is so disappointed that that's when she becomes the vigilante spoiler. And spoiler's entire MO is that she leaves clues to her father's crimes Ooh. for Batman to find. <laughs> oh, I like that. That's so cool. Yes. So, yeah, so she is in the comics. Her name is Spoiler. Um, interestingly enough, she also, later on, in, in much later on in the story, um, she takes over uh, for her boyfriend, um, who is Tim Drake, one of the Robins. So she becomes Robin at some point. Um, and then later on, she actually also becomes Batgirl. <laughs> so, oh, wow. So there is a lot going on with Stephanie. There's a lot of potential for Stephanie here. Um, but the Stephanie that we have, is definitely, I think, one of the most fleshed out versions. They kind of haven't really represented her a lot on screen before. So they kind of have a bit more leeway in what they can do with her, I think. But I'm really, really enjoying what we've seen of her so far because she's a much more complex character with this whole like familial background going on and this whole like investigation of classism that we have going on with like Harper yeah. and everything else. Like, I'm really, really enjoying Stephanie. Like Stephanie might be my MVP this week. <laughs> I think spoiler might be my new favorite superhero name ever. I love that so much. I don't know it's why pretty that good, gets right? me, but it's really cool. <laughs> and yes. I hope that she gets to become that, even if it's a little bit different than maybe what she is in the comics. Yeah. I, I love that this show has so many options because they can take things from many different comics areas like we have a lot of different storylines to choose from we have tv shows we have games we have movies we have comics graphic novels all the rest of it um 
but they're managing to walk that line of, of sprinkling in enough of their own stuff that it feels really unique. So other than my little uh, soliloquy about Stephanie there, <laughs> <laughs> what essentially comes out is that she believes that her father cannot help her with this cipher or is, or is refusing to. He is not prioritizing helping yeah. her because he's so busy. Um, and he says, I did write it down somewhere. <laughs> I cannot find it in my pile of notes. Um, but he essentially refuses to help, but very cryptically says that she shouldn't fear and she will be able to work it out. And and it's definitely announced in such a way that, first mm-hmm. of all, it was a really good character moment. You get the feeling that he's just kind of dramatic in this way on the regular. Yes. <laughs> Which I love. And I but like she is, that it kind of shows frustrated. their relationship too. Like it shows that this is something that, has typically been a bonding thing for them is them solving these these puzzles together um yes. and it kind of gives us another reason to look at stephanie as like this very smart genius character like we've been proving it like over the course of all these episodes but it's just like another example of her being a kind of a different thinker yes and i love that she was sat there like flicking through the questions for the quiz bowl and just being like these aren't hard enough <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> which like excuse you i would like to win if i go on quiz bowl thank you very much i want a shot <laughs> i want to know how many people like me were watching with somebody who yelled out the answer to the quiz question at the tv <laughs> as soon as it was asked <laughs> i only do that um, occasionally with jeopardy and it's only in the pop culture columns typically you get me on anything academic whatsoever i am not going to win jeopardy <laughs> <laughs> see i i had I, I basically have a, a built-in cheat for the question that they were asking because it's technically like an English history question. Ah. <laughs> so I was like, built-in cheat. I know that one. <laughs> but I liked it. It, it. Like it was a really short scene and the point of it was all about this cipher, but it gave us so much history on Stephanie and um, Arthur in that one. It was really well-written scene i think they packed a lot in to a few lines there and made me somehow really like Arthur Brown even though depending on where they go with the character and how much they choose to develop his storyline, we may not always like him. (laughs) (laughs) It's something that this show has been very good at so far, is packing a lot of exposition and character development into very short scenes. Because, like, obviously their season's only 13 episodes long, they have a very large cast, they have a lot of guest stars, they have to pack in a lot in a very short period of time, and they do it very well, which not every show does, and especially a show with this much mythology to it that Gotham Knights has. Yeah, that they have really good writers because you can watch these scenes and you can enjoy them, and it doesn't feel like you're just getting lump of exposition after mm-hmm. exposition after exposition. But technically, we are. <laughs> like, yeah. we're, we're getting yeah. a lot, but it's not, it doesn't read that way. It's great. Exactly. So he won't help, and uh, we take. A little, a little trip over to the Belfry, I believe. Um, yes, which is where we get this great scene with possibly the world's best looking pizza. I need to know where that pizza was from. <laughs> <laughs> there was like it's a like- scene with um, Colin like shoving some of it in his mouth, and we got like a little bit of a close up on the pizza for a second, and I was like, "Damn, <laughs> that looks so good." <laughs> It's always good when you watch a show like Hungry and they're like eating something really good. You're like, damn, I want that. <laughs> but that that's the kind of Easter egg that we need more intel on. So, uh, hey, cast and crew of Gotham Knights, where did you guys eat pizza in Atlanta when you were shooting the show? <laughs> we need to know. I was trying to see if I could get a clear shot of like the pizza boxes and stuff because I know there were 
like in previous episodes, like when Stephanie bought donuts and things like that, they were from places that are relevant to like you know, DC law, places that have cropped mm-hmm. up before. So I was trying to like spot <laughs> the pizza boxes, but I was not doing a good job. I was way too overexcited about something else in this episode, obviously. <laughs> priorities priorities yeah i did love this scene though so much because first of all i love anytime we get the step the tension between stephanie and harper makes me laugh every Mm. time i i like how their relationship is developing um but this whole scene was just i i love duella being gleeful over like her heroes and all of her heroes being people who have done awful things (laughs) yes and and she shows shameless about it but it's not it's it's like it doesn't occur to her. It's <laughs> like why why wouldn't I be happy about this? You know, he's the patron saint of of bad guys, pretty much. Like why would yeah, I? Meanwhile, not... Turner's like um my grandparents. <laughs> Maybe that's why. And she's just basically like eh, yeah. <laughs> eh. collateral damage. <laughs> I also have to shout out. I know we talked about Harvey's ties last week, and and they're pretty amazing. But I have to shout out the costume design for duella consistently every single week has been really amazing and i love all of her jewelry that she had on in this particular episode i just love that she looks like this like hot topic goth girl even though they're currently hiding out in a belfry with like limited access to new clothes like she always accessorizes very well yes like her accessories are on point we know that she stole a bunch from the store initially but i also have the head cannon that every night she is going into the school and just going through the girls lockers oh my god <laughs> yes Please. so this is all like some 14 year olds hot topic supply that she's raiding right now um and i absolutely love that love Do that the 14 year olds even go to hot topic anymore i have got no sad, idea actually don't answer I just, that I just had a moment where I was like, is Hot Topic still a thing? I know they have a website, but I can't remember the last time I saw a Hot Topic store. I have no idea. (laughs) R.I.P. Well, if there is a Hot Topic store in Gotham, that's where Duella is spending all of her time (laughs) between uh, vigilante robberies. (laughs) But yeah, her costume design is on point and seems to somehow embody like the same gleefulness that she shows, which I know we've gone into depth before on like how much of that is a defense mechanism and how much of that is, you know, her upbringing and all the rest of it. Mm -hmm. Regardless, (laughs) she has that joy and it comes out in her clothing as well. And I love it. And in this uh, scene specifically, I have... (laughs) I have a very large note, which is, why does Stephanie have Harvey Dent's number saved in her phone? (laughs) (laughs) Because we know that there was a relationship there between Harvey Dent and Turner. Mm -hmm. But I do not have my best friend's faux uncle's phone number (laughs) saved in my phone. On TV, it's magic. Everyone has everyone's number. I will happily accept that. But I did I did have a little amused moment when that came up. I wonder if, like, Turner gave it to all of them just to have, like, in case of emergency, break glass, call Harvey Dent. Which would be very silly considering the events of the last few episodes, but hey. True. You know. Or maybe it was, I have this so you can screen his call. <laughs> 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 yep. I would definitely not be uh, screening any calls from Harvey Dent, by the way. He can call me anytime he wants. <laughs> but <laughs> I'll confess to whatever he needs. <laughs> Just put me in a put me in a shell in a cell with Doug. I'll be happy. Oh oh, all right. Where was I? Oh yeah. Harper the scene, being the logical the one. Yes. Harper yes. pointing out that it sounds like a trap because it does. 
<laughs> because it really does. I, I always think it's so funny um, just to see all their different reactions, like how they all take these different things. And Harper, like a good 90% of the time is the one who's like the smartest in any particular situation. But for me, the most entertaining part is watching Duella and Turner just be a chaos duo together. Like she's just slowly but surely <laughs> pulling him into that chaos gremlin nonsense. And I'm here for it. Yes, I love the two of them together. Like, you would think son of Batman, daughter of the Joker would be complete opposites. And in some ways they are, but Mm -hmm. they have a lot more in common (laughs) than you would (laughs) expect. And the two of them together is just perfect. I love it. Absolute chaos. So I I ship it, to be fair. Like, I would love Mm -hmm. to see that happen. I think it would be brilliant. Um. I, I I think that's going to be my main turnership. I, I'm probably going to get a lot of people hating on me for this, but I am not at all about the Stephanie Turner shit at all. No. I, I just I just can't. Stephanie can go off and be with Harper. That'll be much better, right? Exactly, like, right? <laughs> I like how we all just ignore Brody, by the way. Um, <laughs> oh, we have to talk about when we get to his scenes later, we can talk about Brody. I feel bad for Brody. Yes, <laughs> yes I feel bad for Brody. Nothing against the character. But I'm still just heavily shipping her with Harper. Um, <laughs> and I just I just have, this is my own personal issue, where I just don't enjoy ships where it's the guy and the girl have been friends for a long time. But obviously they can't just be friends because boys and girls can never just be friends, right? <laughs> I'm just like, no, stop it. This is how we get incels talking about friend zoning, <laughs> okay? But, the, but there's something so delicious, though, about like a friends to lovers ship in the sense of like, if, if done correctly, it's kind of this interesting way of being like, you can, you can see the hangups of both characters. You can see why they would think that the other one wasn't interested in them. So like when done well, it can be entertaining. I just get yes. such a friend's vibe from Turner and Stephanie that it would take a, a pretty seismic event for me to think of them as like a romantic pairing. Yeah. Although clearly like they could be like, they could certainly set it up that way. But I, I, I prefer them both with other people. <laughs> yes. And I can see why people would enjoy that ship. And, yeah. you know, as they always say, ship and let ship. Do exactly. Do, you do you. And, and that's all good to me. Um, but pers- personally, yeah, I'm looking, I'm looking in other directions and just hoping. <laughs> <laughs> so Harper in this one, yes, she is being the logical one, pointing out that it could be a trap. But then that they get get the, the bomb dropped that actually um Joe Chill has a coin. He has been coined. Harvey Dent passed that information along. And that kind of seems to almost instantly change Turner's point of view on this. Yes. Because um, they know that there's a Court of Owls connection there. And it's, it's if he's a threat to the Court of Owls and they're looking to eliminate him, they need to know why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that was quite a quick turnaround on Turner's part, which is good. I think he's kind of i won't say moving on for everything that happened because he's definitely not he's just clearly still on this huge <laughs> revenge kick but he is emotionally much finding it much easier to kind of turn off and focus on the facts and do what needs to be done now i think yes um so he's come a long way since those first couple of episodes yay good for our boy and and i appreciate too that um he's developing into a bit of a leader where he takes input from everybody like he doesn't shut harper down when she shares her concerns and he shares some of her concerns but he's also willing to listen to all of them and kind of what they're bringing to the table which is it's it's not something i think he would have done in in the pilot certainly yeah 
like as he says himself later, like he was a spoiled rich kid. Like he owns it mm-hmm. uh, when he's talking to Joe Chill later, and I think that's yeah. that's an awareness he desperately needed. Um, yes, and he's doing well. He's becoming a new person. They all are. <laughs> I like it. So once they have decided to go to Blackgate and try and see Joe Chill, um, I don't think there's any indication on exactly how they're going to do that at this point. <laughs> um, so then we get a back. We're back to Channel sixty four, and they're letting us know that there is a stay of execution been put on Joe Chill, so that they're not going to execute him just yet, <laughs> <laughs> because Harvey Dent has plans. At the end of the day, is is what it boils down to. Um, and then we get this brilliant interaction between Duella and Harvey, which I I don't know why I get so much joy out of seeing those two interact because they interact so little, really. <laughs> but there's just something about it that brings me so much joy. This The sarcasm, the displeasure, yes. the tolerating each other, barely. <laughs> like, yes. Oh, my goodness. And and also adding more fuel to the to the theory that she may be a secret two-faced daughter, which, again, it, it's not it's not necessarily the most plausible theory, but it would be really entertaining. <laughs> if it I was mean, yeah, true. it would be cool. And honestly, I mean, that's all you need for a theory, right? <laughs> yeah. Just if it fun. sounds cool, if it sounds cool, go with it. The, the show will prove you wrong or right at some point. But they um, almost I, have this weird, like, begrudging respect for each other that I kind of enjoy. Like in that moment where he's like, where she's holding the knife to his throat, and he's like, "Don't you understand that? Like, if this was a trap, like you'd already be dead the second like you pull the knife on me." And she was kind of like, "Fair, fair point, actually." Yeah. They they do seem to understand each other, um, yeah. even if they really don't like where each other is standing. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I liked it. Um, Olivia Rose Keegan holding a knife to someone's throat should not be that hot. Just saying. Um, <laughs> the the, the lighting was. in general was very cool, too. I loved all the scenes that they did sort of in that underneath area where they were meeting. It just it's so creepy and cool and dark and it's very Gotham-y and it felt like like they did a really good job this episode in general with the cinematography and the lighting. I just felt like it was almost this little mini movie every time they went to the scenes with Joe Chill. It was almost like its own part of the show. It was really cool. Yeah, I, I loved it. It was in- creepy, but not overdone. Like it wasn't, you know, too much with like, oh, here's the the creepy place with the drips and the everything else. <laughs> but it wasn't overdone, but it was really, really nice. This episode gave me some of those like old horror movie vibes, which again, yes. I am attributing to Doug Bradley's presence mm-hmm. in this episode. Um, but it really felt like they kind of leaned into that with some of the set design in this like little underground uh, place here. Um, there's a there's a lot of stuff in different um, horror movies with train stations and places like that and ab- abandoned um, subways, mm-hmm. things like that being uh, places between realms almost. Um, yep. There are several movies where that they literally function like that. Um, so it was really interesting that when Turner and um, Harvey decided to meet on this kind of neutral ground, that was where they were in this kind of slightly abandoned looking subway-esque area. I appreciated that very much. So again, just glorious set design, costume design, <laughs> everything. Um, we, we've got to do a shout out to the writers of this episode because I believe that this was one of their like first episodes of TV ever. Um, yes, yes. The the two writers for this episode, we have Nikki Holcomb, and then we also have Nate Gulateri, who was the writer who came up with the idea um, that um, Harper stole or dated um, that guy to get the yes. money for top surgery for Cullen. 
Um, and I just have to say there were so many individual lines that were excellent but overall the monologues that joe chill had were just chef's kiss like yes just wonderful writing combined with a world-class performer that just really elevated the material um to even more than it, it probably even was on the page and just i'm i'm glad for both of these writers that they have the opportunity to have this episode um and i'm very excited that it was nate's first episode of tv because it was a really really good one to start with imagine your first episode of tv and someone tells you you have to write <laughs> villainous monologues for doug bradley <laughs> right but clearly nate deserves it because yes absolutely knocked it out of the park did brilliantly um also shout out apparently i just i, I need to follow nate's career now because apparently <laughs> they just get my sense of humor because there were so many good one-liners <laughs> that just <laughs> like actually made me stop and have a pro- like a proper giggle <laughs> i was like yep okay this this writer gets me that my brain is on the same level as them but they managed to do it and have those little one-liners in without spoiling like the overall feeling of the episode mm-hmm um, which was very good, very good, because this was not a comedic episode in the slightest. Um, no. But we still had those those lighter moments, which I do like. Yeah. Great job, great job. During this this conversation, um, Harvey is talking to Turner, and we start to get, or at least I start to get the feeling that Harvey is definitely coming around to Turner's way of thinking. We we kind of see before that there have definitely been opportunities where he could have turned Turner in if he really believed that he did it and he has chosen not to do that so clearly he had his doubts yes um but during this conversation and then the later conversations in this episode I think we can see a real kind of change in Harvey um and the fact that he is genuinely now thinking that Turner is innocent which obviously Harvey's got his own issues right now (laughs) but add in the guilt that he must now be feeling for basically like hunting down a kid who may as well have been his nephew. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it's not, it's not doing good things for Harvey's already tenuous mental state. No, <laughs> I no, I I think we don't. Yeah. We don't need to be heaping a lot of guilt on there as well as everything else that's going on for him. Um, for sure. And I, I, I like that they're kind of showing all that fear and doubt a little bit more now, especially since now at this point, Harvey has really experienced um, figuring out that this other persona exists, figuring out that there's things that he's done that he can't remember. Like, we're really starting to see the decline um, as we're mm-hmm. hitting, like, the midpoint of the season. Yeah, and I think he's really, through his own experiences currently, learning to doubt. Like, he seemed very sure of himself before. Yes. Like, the, the Harvey that we first met at the beginning of the season was very self-confident, very sure in mm-hmm. the things that he wanted to achieve and how he was going to do it. And he was going to find these criminals. And as each episode has gone on, he has doubted more and more and more. And now with mm-hmm. Turner, it seems that his doubts were right. Um, and I, I think it's it's messing with him, <laughs> which I love. Please, let's tear him apart. I, I just, I, I love it. Come on, people. Um, keep messing with Harvey. <laughs> Pile yes. more and more on. <laughs> Uh, shout out to Misha Collins' amazing face acting. Yeah. <laughs> not not just in this scene, but I will highlight in this scene. Um, just his very subtle expressions. Um, and like he knows when to to amp it up. Yeah. Where he's like, he doesn't even need to say anything. You can see the confusion, you can see the doubt. Um, mm-hmm. and he manages to give you that impression that there's like there's so much happening in his brain. Yes. That he's not sharing. <laughs> yes. So. And it's difficult, I feel like, um, 
I'm sure for actors, this is a difficult thing to sort of first learn when you're starting out, but like the, the thinking acting where you're not, where there's no dialogue, but you need to be conveying something with your face, I think is so difficult. And quite a lot of actors don't do it well. Um, and they sort of over exaggerate. And I feel like what he's been doing with Harvey has been so good because you can see what's on the surface. You can see what's underneath. And then when he does occasionally let that anger out, um, or kind of escape, it really feels like it's escaping. It feels like this is a glimpse of Two-Face without really giving us Two-Face. And we can talk later about certain fantastic um, shots and portrayals. Yes, we will. Anger. We will return to that um, one in due time. <laughs> but but in this particular scene, I enjoyed that you could really see every thought passing through his head, which is not an easy thing to do when you're not saying those thoughts out loud. Yeah, no. So he definitely deserves some kudos for that. All right. So then in a complete flip, back in the belfry <laughs> um we have <laughs> uh Duella arriving with the whiskey and what she names the cutest whiskey glasses that she's ever seen <laughs> i just adore the fact that they're drinking whiskey out of teacups like it's very yes. alice in wonderland it's yes. very like which for Duella is just such a perfect feeling mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. absolutely love it i love that she essentially wants to drink to joe chill because again we have that difference in how Turner is seeing Joe Till in his scene and then how she's seeing him in her scene and we're kind of reminded again that out of all of them she is the more true criminal in that she was she was raised within this world she has probably done things that we will maybe or maybe not find out about at some point who knows um that would horrify these other kids yes um because she grew up and he was, like she said, the, the patron saint. So she and she's also just kind of this little up. anarchist who loves chaos. So like yeah. in, in a way, I mean any anybody who causes any kind of destabilization in Gotham, she's gonna love. Yeah, exactly. And she does tend to almost idolize these villains, like we saw mm-hmm. with um the original Talon, like we saw obviously with the Joker every time she talks about him. Um, even though she's talking about him in an angry way because she feels Im- um, abandoned by him there's definitely still some idolization in there somewhere because she's still mm-hmm. elevating him to being this mythical criminal even if she happens to know that on a personal level he's an asshole and he left her mom and all that kind of stuff <laughs> so she she still seems to be idolizing these people and there's a part of her that wants to be that so interesting so more more maybe of a natural criminal than some of the others were. I feel like she was raised into it, whereas the Roe twins were forced into it. Yeah. Um, and maybe they ended up in the same place, but how they got that was very different. And I think, too, the twins, as, as much as they exist outside of the system and as much as the things that they've done are kind of like a screw you to the Gotham elite and everything like that, I think that there's some part of them that does believe that the system works, that it just doesn't work for them. Um, that it works for some people, but not for others. And I think that Duella's view of it is much more like the system is trash. Um, I simply refuse to acknowledge the system. I will be making my own rules over here and playing in my own sandbox. Yes. Ella definitely has her own sandbox. And I would love to play in it. Please invite me. <laughs> well, speaking of playing, I feel like this was such a fun scene. I Not that I like was waiting for all the kids to get drunk or anything, but like it was just very funny to see them act like normal teenagers. It was kind of 
threw me back to the scene where they were all like quote unquote shopping um yes. in the second episode where they were all just kind of a little bit more free i loved cullen <laughs> giving harper the side eye about calling the whiskey self-care um that was very funny um because it's Look, also I mean, i'm with hopper on this one like sometimes you need, sometimes you need a face mask and sometimes you need whiskey sometimes and, you need whiskey <laughs> yeah and sometimes you need both who says you can't do both at the same time yeah you know, can do both <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was very funny and I loved um when they're going through uh, and we can talk about more how they get there but when they're going through all the books and <laughs> poor Cullen is just trying so hard to keep them in some kind of organized system and the rest of them are just throwing them around all willy-nilly <laughs> yes he is definitely like mama Cullen in this episode yes. oh, <laughs> trying my goodness. so hard to keep everyone in order whereas th- the others they're having a good time. There's definitely <laughs> a little, I like the little competitive drinking kind of edge that we got mm-hmm. for a second there between Stephanie and Harper. <laughs> like yep. Stephanie wanted to focus on the books, but there is no way she was going to be outdone by Harper. So <laughs> I <laughs> love that. I, I love the energy between those two. They're the just act- so funny. Yeah, the actresses really managed to to pull it out and make it believable as well. It's great mm-hmm. and it's fun. And I hope they keep leaning into that. Whether I get my sharpest ship or not, I'm perfectly fine if I don't, but I just love the energy between them. And I kind of want to see when it erupts a little bit, because I feel like it has to at some point. They keep having these moments where it feels like they're this close to like really duking it out, but both of them kind of pull back. Um, So it'll be interesting to see if they ever... If they ever go there or if or if they become more allies, because there were also a couple of moments, and I'm sure we'll talk about them later, mm-hmm. where they were looking out for each other. Um, yes. So it's, it's almost like this begrudging truce has been <laughs> struck. Yeah. It's just that they also still want to both be the smartest of the two. Yeah, they're both used to being the smartest person mm-hmm. in the room. And they're both very smart in slightly different ways um, and learned it in slightly different ways. But I think they're beginning to get to the point where they have like a begrudging respect for each other and and their smartness um they just don't really want to admit it yet <laughs> yeah exactly exactly and yes. i like even the, that sweet funny moment where um harper is found out to be a massive quiz bowl fan yes uh, <laughs> <laughs> which makes sense it makes sense that somebody who is as smart as her would be interested in a show like that but it was just so funny to watch her face uh, when she, when uh, stephanie finds that fact out <laughs> Yes, I loved it. It's like Harper's worried about like the fact that it makes her not seem cool, essentially, for a second. She's like, damn, why do you have to out me like that? But, but no, I love it. So perfectly in character for her that she would do that. I yes. also really enjoyed, a little bit later on, we get... Um, Cullen's line about preventing like genius on genius crime. Oh my god. Yeah, 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 yeah. He he was like, and I prevented genius on genius homicide, which is perfect. It was so cute. I love him so much in this particular scene because he's hurting all these little ducklings, essentially. Like he's keeping Duella, who's always off track, and then the other two who are usually very responsible and on top of it and trying yeah. to herd them all. It's so funny. We're back to Cullen kind of being the glue of the group here. Yep. Um, which again, just this is just the eternal cynicism that lives in my heart where I'm now just concerned and I'm just like, please don't do anything to Cullen to pull these people together. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> please don't. Protect Not my baby. Him, please. <laughs> 
But the main takeaway from this little scene is that despite all of their arguing and despite all their going back and forth, they do actually figure out that Stephanie's dad was trying to give them a clue, was trying to point them in the right direction. And they realize that this is a book cipher. So there's a specific book that's going to give them the key to cracking this code. Yes. Sherlock Holmes, shout out. Yay. Shall we move on to the hospital? Because we have not mentioned the hospital yet, but we have other things going on. Yes, we definitely need to talk about the hospital because, unfortunately for everyone, I have discovered another ship that I didn't even know (laughs) I needed until now. Um, Because this is really the first time that we've seen Carrie and Brody interact beyond, like, a very brief conversation. And um, they're an interesting duo. Like, I actually really like them together. Um, And I I love... too. And she called him charming, which I quite liked because, I mean... That, that's one of the nicest things you could say about the character that we've seen so far. <laughs> I like that they've kind of pulled back on how like much of a jerk Brody is and just kind of made him a, a, a privileged kid who maybe isn't aware of that privilege all the time. But he's not. They, they've pulled back significantly from him being kind of the bully that he was in, in the pilot. Um, yeah. And I, I, I like that they're kind of giving him like the Steve Harrington treatment and sort of playing yeah. to the actor's strengths a little bit more because in this episode he's really sympathetic like as a character like i i felt a lot for him and i, and I think it's down to rahard adams's acting and also the way that they're choosing to write him now yeah because we see him as well um being sympathetic in character we see him mm-hmm. caring about the patients in this hospital that like he we yeah. find out that he <clears throat> has been basically assigned to this hospital for his community service from where he <laughs> for, for the crime he absolutely did not commit <laughs> did not commit so we see him um caring about these patients and he is actually like he goes up to carrie and he's saying you know there's this guy in, in trauma too and he's you know really struggling he doesn't think he has much longer and he genuinely seems like even though this is community service for him he's there because he has to be Like, he has empathy for these people. He doesn't have to be invested in what's happening to them. He just has to push supplies around and move things and do what he's told to do. Um, But he goes out of his way to care about these people instead. So there's a layer to the character there that we're starting to get. Um, That maybe, yeah, maybe he was just the douchey rich kid. But in doing this, he's seeing people Mm -hmm. who are struggling and are in a much worse position than he is um he's also obviously in some ways kind of selfless there was definitely some privilege in what he did for stephanie because he could probably do it fairly safely knowing that you know daddy would make sure that Mm -hmm. he only had to do something minor like he was he was never going to go to jail for that yeah um so there was a lot of privilege in that but it still came from a pretty selfless place i feel like he still did it yeah because he wanted to help stephanie out so I don't know. I'm kind of enjoying that that aspect of this character that they're kind of taking that douchey rich guy trope and giving him a little bit more. Um, and I hope that they lean into that. I would love to see more from him because I really think the actor is doing a great job. Yes, so I would love to see that. His interactions with Carrie were great. Um, what what are we calling that, Cody? <laughs> <laughs> You know what? I actually, I, I kind of like that ship name because um, I wouldn't do Brary. Um, that's no, a silly that's name. A- <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think that what I like about the two of them, whether that heads in that direction or not, is I, I like, <laughs> I have always loved the trope of the somewhat nerdy sort of 
quiet girl who has like very strong principles ending up with like the overprivileged jerk who realizes that he's an overprivileged jerk like over time and i i liked their interactions they were just very sweet together and i think carrie didn't underestimate him or kind of treat him like he wouldn't know what he was talking about like like she was willing to kind of be on his level and listen to him and meanwhile he gained this new appreciation for her other than being like the younger girl from the library he's looking at her and saying oh okay like this girl first of all can do some serious diy medicine <laughs> but also has guts you know yeah and i mean he clearly likes smart girls because mm-hmm. i mean he was he's kind of with stephanie i think we maybe still need some clarity on exactly uh, yeah they're they're still works. in <laughs> they're still in the situation ship that they were in last time <laughs> um she's she's close enough that he's that, that they call her right away um when his father is injured uh but not close enough that we actually know if they're calling each other boyfriend and girlfriend yeah so that's it's an interesting place to be i feel like that's probably deliberate i'm sure the writers have mm-hmm i've done that for, for whatever reason they chose ah uh, gen z that's <laughs> so casual with the labels <laughs> so casual let's not label it yep um but i really enjoyed that scene i think it put his acting on a on a kind of pedestal that we didn't we haven't up until this point really gotten mm-hmm. to see um i'd love that um I, I know i'm jumping ahead a little bit in terms of how the scenes happened but as we're talking about the hospital scene um yeah. i love that carrie immediately obviously putting her robin hat on wanted to help this person that um mm-hmm. had been stabbed it looked like uh, and immediately it's just like oh i got this instead of immediately just being like i can run and get my mom and tell her she needs to reprioritize and that maybe mm-hmm. this guy needs something she's just like no no i got this i can do it and i love that brody's <laughs> reaction instead of just being like i'm gonna go and get somebody i need to stop this no he's just like he's not a fruit he's a person <laughs> <laughs> that was such a great line. It, that was it a might brilliant be my line. favorite line of the episode. It was so good. <laughs> yes. So I, I just I love the kind of implication and the little kind of effective flashback that that gives um, by us imagining that Dr. Kelly before she was Dr. Kelly um, practicing her stitching on her bananas in her kitchen, mm-hmm. doing this doing this single mom thing, doing it so well, just absolutely crushing it. Um. And, and little little Carrie like watching and helping her practice. Just love that. Absolutely love that. Yeah, it was really sweet. And and we can talk about this more later. But I I like that Carrie always has an appreciation for her mom. Like there hasn't really been a time that we've seen her sort of get upset about her mom. Like she she admires her for what she can do, and she recognizes what that she's not working with the most resources to like which was just very cool i I like their relationship as a mother-daughter pair because sometimes when you watch teen shows the relationship between parents and kids it's always like oh mom and dad are so stupid and they don't know anything and like i hate them so much and i like that this show has more realistic depictions of those relationships like you have the relationship stephanie has with her parents which is obviously dysfunctional but then you also have carrie's relationship with her mom which is very sweet yeah, I'm really enjoying that relationship. I love that they're avoiding that very kind of CW trope TV thing, which I get a lot where I'm looking at the TV and just being like, how do your parents not know that you're out all night? <laughs> <laughs> like, these are the world's most unobservant parents. Um, whereas clearly, <laughs> that's not Dr. Kelly. Like, she has no. noticed things. She is on top of this. She is causing problems for Carrie because she's being a good parent. <laughs> um, and Carrie seems to appreciate, like, that really like there's no 
there doesn't seem to be any bitterness. Like, yes, she's annoyed because this yeah. is going to put, like, you know, it's kind of crimping her her Robin game here. Yeah, but she doesn't seem at all irritated at her mom about it. She understands where her mom is coming from. It seems like. Mm-hmm. Um, she's just annoyed that the effect that it's going to have on her as she now has to check in at the hospital every day um, before, before they go home, which is actually going to be <laughs> probably quite an issue when you're attempting to be off being a superhero. <laughs> as we've as we've touched on the hospital thing, does that mean I get to talk about Joe Chill now? <laughs> I, think, I think yes. I think we need to Yay! tackle this scene, which is... Oh my god, it's it's so good. It it's I was not expecting to have so much of Doug Bradley in this episode. This scene was just it, it was perfect. I was so happy that we got this, that we had a monologue this amazing. It was so good and so well written. Um mm-hmm. just I know we've already like shouted out the writers in this episode, but that they, they need special recognition for this yes. scene. Because monologues can be really hit or miss in tv shows they can feel so forced and awkward Mm -hmm. and you're just sitting there as an audience member like okay it feels like you're talking directly to me which is not how this is supposed to work (laughs) um yes uh, but this one was so good and so well delivered i mean this is this is the kind of thing that doug bradley was made for Uh um he he did it really well in like the hellraiser movies like delivering lines with such kind of weight to them that even without much facial expression, because obviously in the Hellraiser movies, he had this whole mask situation going on. So he's being quite guarded around Harvey. Um, He doesn't want to give him all of the information. Um, When we first see him, he definitely wants to see Turner. So he he is definitely holding something back. And you can see that he's not being overly expressive. It is quite, you know, to use the obvious pun here, it it is quite kind of chilling how emotionless (laughs) he can seem in certain ways there um there's a hopelessness to him that i think um doug captured really well because at the end of the day like he knows he's going to die Mm -hmm. so even though harvey dent puts this this stay of execution and in theory he he should be you know given some more time he should be spared for a while while they're sorting this out um but as this scene goes on you get the feeling that he always knew that wasn't going to work like he yep. always knew that there was there was no hope there. Um, I think he plays that really well. It, it's chilling, but it's also very sad. Because um, mm-hmm. as much as I, I, I'm struggling to call him an innocent man, I would say he's innocent of this crime. Yeah, of this <laughs> particular crime. <laughs> yeah, he's clearly not innocent of a lot of other things. Um, he he did set out to scare and mug Batman's parents, which again yeah. is not great. <laughs> so. <laughs> And he's clearly done other things before to be put in that position by somebody, um, mm-hmm. to have been recruited for that. He's clearly done things before in, in that arena. So we can't call him an innocent. But he did have 50 years of his life taken away for something that he did not do. Yeah, exactly. Which, yeah, and there's a lot of weight, and his character really embodies that that weight on his shoulders. I think he did it so, so well. I could have listened to his monologue for like another 10 minutes. <laughs> just I know, sat there. honestly. Like he's just one of those actors and there's there's a few who just as soon as they're in a scene, that scene just gets better. Like in this case, you have the luck to have an excellent script and an excellent actor, but he's one of those actors that could walk in with like the worst script you've ever read and make it good. 
because yeah. of how good he is as an actor. And so to see him get these monologues that are just so juicy to play with, I mean, he was incredible. Like the the line in this particular one that I could not get over was his delivery of the court needs me to keep Gotham looking under its bed so it doesn't look up to see the real monsters controlling the city. And just the way he said that was so chilling like i almost wanted to look under my own bed and be like oh is joe chill under there because it was just so well done like you could see that horror movie training coming through (laughs) yes and and the way he enunciates things to it really is that kind of horror movie tone that he's going for Mm -hmm. um the one that got me is when he's talking about the court and he says that they're in the stones and the bones of the city yes and i was just like oh yes love it um and Doug Bradley is kind of known um, for being picky, shall we say, about his scripts and what mm-hmm. he chooses to do. Um, he made eight Hellraiser movies and he actually turned down doing another one because when he got the script, he said it wasn't that the script was bad or or good or anything in between. It was fine, but it felt unfinished to him. So he didn't want to put his name to it. Mm-hmm. So he he let it go. And I was actually reading about how he got the email with this script for for this to see you know for him to read through to see if he wanted to do it um and he he just got an email and it basically said that like urgent or something in the thing like let me know if you want more information about this um and he read it through and just Im- immediately emailed back and was just like yes what's next yes. so that says something about the quality of the script that he got if he would turn down another like million dollar movie in a franchise um, because he wasn't happy with the script, and yet there was this unknown show that hadn't aired at all yet, mm-hmm. um, with you know young actors, untested writers that that maybe they he hadn't heard of, and yet immediately that script pulled him in. Definitely, and the opportunity to play such an iconic character as well, I think from the yes. comics had to had to have been a draw. But speaking of those untested actors, I have to say Oscar did an amazing job in this episode, going toe to toe with him. Because yes. as a younger actor, I can see that it would be intimidating to work in a scene with Doug Bradley. <laughs> like, that's a pretty scary position to be in. And I think he held up his end of those scenes incredibly well. I think that Turner as a character really stands tall in those moments. And we get to know so much more about his headspace and how he sees the similarities between himself and Joe Chill. So I, I just have to give him a shout out because I, I, I don't. I have to think that that wasn't easy, um, but he carried it off very well. Yeah, um, Oscar really has a good way of playing him where he seems like he's almost reserved. Like he's got that, it's almost like you can imagine him doing like debate team practice or something when yes. he was in <laughs> when he was in high school. And so he's learned how to kind of control his features and speak clearly and all the mm-hmm. rest of it. But you can kind of see him like boiling underneath. Um which I really like. You, you can tell that he is choosing to be that way, but at some point, I can really just see him like losing it, like getting incredibly angry, like because he's mm-hmm. got to be so angry by this point. Um, it, it's like he said about all of the people that he loved; none of them believed him, which isn't quite yeah. true, as we'll go into later. But <laughs> in general, like all of the kids at school, family people that you would always hope would stand by you if you were wrongfully mm-hmm. accused of something um did not and and there was there was barely a doubt there now a lot of that is because the court of hours obviously went to some effort to try and <laughs> kind of like put a little bow on it and make sure yeah. that it looked exactly like what happened um to the point where it's almost too perfect um which mm-hmm. is is what 
Joe Chill is saying. And it's it's exactly the same as happened to Joe Chill. So there is a relationship between the two of them where they, they can both relate to that and they do kind of meet on, on that playing field um, in this yep. scene of Blackgate. But, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I really do agree that he went toe-to-toe with him very, very well. Like watching the two of them, it was like watching this little like ping pong match. Um, and yeah. It was really, really good. And then there's just Harvey standing there kind of having <laughs> his world turned on end in the background. Like what? The hell? Harvey's thinking about a lot of stuff in that scene. Again, more more thinking acting <laughs> for me. Yeah. But I yeah, like I, it was just every scene that Doug was in was so compelling to watch that like as compelling as even the rest of the episode was, I kept being like, well, what's happening with Joe Chill? Like we have to cut back to like what's going on over there because he's just such an interesting person to watch. And I I'm sorry that this is his only appearance. I wish we could have him longer. Um, but he's just incredible. Yeah, he was really good. I would love to know what happened in, you know, did the showrunners just sit there and be like, who do we want for this role? And did they all just unanimously <laughs> go, Doug Bradley? Because Doug Bradley. <laughs> I can't like, think of anyone who would be an equivalent for him in this. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it was probably a situation where when they were writing the character, they were like, wouldn't it be amazing if we could get Doug Bradley to like play this character? That would never happen. And then somehow it, it worked out. <laughs> they could actually yeah. get him. Yeah, no, they had two really good guest stars in this. And I mean, attracting guest stars of that quality, like I said, it really just shows how good the scripts were, even when they first went out. Because we know that what we see on screen is probably tweaked different to what was in that first uh, script that was sent out Mm -hmm. for these people. But even that was good enough that they managed to attract Ethan Embry and uh, Doug in this one. So, of course. Good job, writers. And thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. And of course, aside from Doug's acting in the scene, which is incredible, we also get some crucial information. We learn for the first time, we kind of prove that Joe Chill was not, in fact, the one who killed Bruce Wayne's parents, uh, that he was set up by the owls, um, which we had. Well, I I say we as though I contributed anything to that theory. Um, (laughs) Mal (laughs) theorized (laughs) <laughs> in previous episodes um, and talked about the comics connection there. So that was a, a very important thing to know. And also to know that the reason that they're executing him now is clearly that he's outlived his usefulness to them. Um, and then that's a bit of a warning to Turner and company as well, uh, that the owls will not hold back when they're done with you. Yeah. And also possibly a bit of an interesting warning to Harvey as well, mm-hmm. because he's clearly useful to them at present. Yes. Um, and we'll see a, a very clear example of that a bit later on. I think. <laughs> um, yeah, he's clearly useful to them at present. His opponents are dropping like flies. <laughs> um, <laughs> but what happen? What happens when they're done with him? Yep. Um, which you know, I mean, that the previous uh, mayor again seemed to be on their payroll. They pulled strings to get him elected. Let's not forget that. Mm. Um, and obviously, at some point, they decided that they were done with him, and he got coined. And so. A warning for everybody involved. Do not mess with the Court of Owls. <laughs> and we can definitely talk more about the Joe Chill of it all in a little bit because there's a scene coming up that's it's so incredible and I have to Ugh. talk about it for at least 10 minutes. Um, but there is a bit of an interstitial moment in between those things where we're talking about um, them cracking the code finally and realizing that there's an address to something. Do we know what it is? No. Do we know if it's crawling with criminals? No. no. Are the kids going to immediately investigate it anyway? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and shout out to Cullen being the one who identifies the book 
that it actually comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, like, good job. I, it got me wondering, like, do we think Cullen Cull- is a book person? Because he immediately yes. knew that Ulysses was Irish, was all these different things. Like, he knew. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm definitely headcanoning him, head him as a book person now. Well, I, I think that it's one of those things where Harper is so clearly, like, a genius genius um, that even... Cullen just being like regular level smart person who likes books, um, he would still probably consider himself to be, you know, less smart, quote unquote, than Harper. Um, but I think that he definitely reads. And I'm sure that, you know, and again, this is more of a headcanon, but when you have an abusive childhood like that and you're trying to escape into something, I would think that reading would be a way to do that for a smart kid yes. like him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know that several people, um, who I've spoken to before who said that actually for them reading was a really good way for them to lose their own current identity and Mm -hmm. put themselves somewhere else which could definitely have applied to Cullen when he was younger so yes we love it we love a smart king thank you (laughs) (laughs) so off they go (laughs) into chaos again though interestingly they're not led into chaos by Dweller and Turner this time Mm-hmm. Um, we, we get a little a little split in our chaos duo here. Yes, and we also don't have our Robin. We don't have Miss Carrie Kelly around to help them out. Um, Harper gets in a great line where <laughs> where Stephanie is talking about what skills she brings to the table. Um, and how her fencing expertise may be something that they can use. And Harper says, "Well, next time we raid a pirate ship, you can take point." <laughs> <laughs> which just uh just the quick zingers there <laughs> they kept yes. the deepest i love that because in a way they're both right stephanie is right in that she is an accomplished fencer like she has the moves she knows mm. how to do this however these people aren't going to be playing by the rules <laughs> like you're not going to have you know a referee off to the side saying you know that that, that was that was an out of bounds hit that's not <laughs> that's not going to work <laughs> um Whereas Harper is obviously much more aware of that. She knows how these yeah, things yeah. goes down. This is far from her first rodeo. So they're both kind of right in this. Yes. Um, but this scene, it's interesting that we started off the episode with um, a scene that kind of alluded to the relationship between Stephanie and her father. And now mm-hmm. we get this scene, which although it's ostensibly a, a fight scene, they decide to go in and investigate this this court of owls money laundering scheme through the McKillens um, is very much linked to Stephanie's mom in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the fact that as soon as we we get that and she recognizes immediately that the, these criminals are packing um, opioids into you know baggies, it's clearly mm-hmm. some kind of drug operation going there. She immediately identifies the opioids because clearly she sees them all the time, unfortunately yeah. for her. Um, and she says that and Harper immediately kind of twigs onto that she's like hey like how would you know that's thing and i love the fact that cullen immediately covers for her mm-hmm. like without question just you know throws something out there like oh come on like clearly it's, so it's not aspirin sweet. you know um, i, I, I love like that. that ship so much i i i know it's a ship that won't sail but i would love it uh, if that's, it did. that's my favorite <laughs> friendship sh- friendship ship friendship ship i love it um they're so cute but yeah that helen did that so it just speaks to his nature uh, to to be someone who is a good keeper of secrets and understands how to support people uh, when they need it and that was also episodes now and he's still keeping that secret like it's Uh it doesn't seem to have even occurred to him that he could use that or pass it on to Mm -hmm. something else no he is just 
allowing her that space to deal with that herself and just being there. And I think, I think that's wonderful. It's really sweet. <laughs> um, and then that sweet moment is sort of overshadowed a little bit because Duella has been dealing this episode with a lot of, I think, I think this feeling of separation from the others. Um, she does not want to be a Gotham Knight. She's not really interested in taking up that mantle. She thinks it's really silly that the others are kind of leaning into it so much because in her view, the second that they find out who the Knights really are, they're going to be just as terrible to them as they were before. So she's almost pushing away that recognition. Um, And in that moment, we see that she decides to not go with the rest of the crew um, and to kind of leave them to their own devices, which I think it's interesting, especially when we see her a little bit later kind of mourning Joe Chill on her own, how her outlook on life is changing but i don't think she knows how to deal with it i don't think she knows how to deal with the idea of being good quote unquote or doing things for the greater good i also think there might be a slightly sadder element to that in that up until this point in her life nobody had ever told her she could be good Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. or at least that's the impression that i get like she was raised in this kind of dark place with people surrounding her who wouldn't even think to give her another option Mm -hmm. um and she has probably never questioned it before and yeah. has never, like, she probably just doesn't believe that she can be good. She thinks it's a ridiculous notion. She thinks that she is not the right person for that. How could she possibly be that way? There's like a level of determinism to it in that, well, you know, the Joker was my dad. So clearly my fate is sealed. Yep. Um, which I don't think is true. And I don't think any of the other Gotham Knights think is true. But she does. Yep. And she definitely acts in accordance with that. She may very much be telling herself that she's pulling the strings and she's making these decisions and they're just being ridiculous. But I do wonder how much of that is kind of an internal, an internal battle that our, our girl is having there. Yeah. And she, uh, yeah, she's having a lot of internal battles this episode. And then this scene, Lee, oh, I just have to talk for a moment about this scene structure because I'm kind of a nerd for when they set things <sighs> up the way that they do. I love that we had these three different equally weighty moments happening at once. We have the action sequence with our knights. We have Harvey having a face-off with Brody's dad and um, and a certain special guest who makes a a return appearance. Um, And we also have everything going on um, with Joe Chill's execution. So those three things are happening pretty much simultaneously. And the way that they chose to shoot all of those scenes was incredible. I loved the music choices and the score, especially in this episode, was incredible. Um, And I just loved how all those moments were played off of each other. It it was just so incredible. And it goes back to the writers and the way that they structured this episode. But I loved it. And we can talk about each piece individually. um, But I just want to appreciate how, as a collective, they really work together so well. Yeah, it was beautifully done that the intercut with the the three scenes was Mm -hmm. spectacular and how they had the lightning bridging the scenes from one to the other. Um, I think it was uh, James on his Twitter maybe referred to it as a lyrical intercut. And that's exactly what it felt like. It was beautiful and it was chilling as well. Just watching it. I was holding my breath watching half of that Um, because you had the, the scene. If we start with, if we start with Joe Chill's scene so that we can kind of explain the voiceover part, um, there is a part of this scene where you have a um, priest of some kind who is associated with the prison, you would assume, um, and is essentially reading the rights for Joe Chill as he is being taken to the electric chair. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of functions as a voiceover for everything that's happening for all of the scenes. Yes. Um, and some of the things that he's saying as well, like obviously the words are, you know, it's, it's Bible verses that he's using, etc. So mm-hmm. those are, but the way that they were overlaid over the scenes was just chillingly beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, we had this line earlier in the episode, uh, or in the episode later on, sorry, um, where Turner talks about the fact that he has a team and that's what makes him different from Joe Chill. Mm. Um, and we have this line from the priest where he talks about um, uh, he restoreth my soul. And it's like, just, oh, it's just beautiful, like overlaid from the scene of the electric chair going into yes. the scene of the team fighting and fighting for each other and helping each other out and uh, at one point um we'll definitely speak about it but harper saving stephanie's life Mm -hmm. in this scene it's just so chillingly beautiful and you 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 get excited about the fight scene but then the next second you're reminded okay but somebody's dying (laughs) like it's oh you don't know what to do your emotions are all over the place it was just so well done (laughs) i was just literally holding my breath like i said for for most of this no, it was it was it was really incredible, and um, you know we've talked before again about how great this crew is at adding so much dramatic weight to those moments. Um, the lightning, like you said, was just absolutely incredible. I loved it. It was it was so well done, um, and I have to give a shout out as well to the fight choreographers for that whole sequence because I loved how the action felt very frantic. Um, you almost got the sense that they were in over their heads. Um, at different points, which I think is helpful because as much as these kids are, you know, fighters, they're not experienced fighters and they're they're only just learning how to fight together um, as a group, too. So I appreciate that they've always kind of put in a little bit of the element of inexperience there. They don't make them just totally badass all the time, like always taking people down. Like you have a moment of genuine fear for Stephanie in that in that moment because you know that maybe she doesn't have the skill on her own (laughs) you know she probably couldn't take this guy down by herself um so it was it was very cool and i again like we talked about earlier i like that harper had that moment of saving her almost that moment of recognition there of like okay like i may compete with you on you know these different things but i certainly don't want to see you killed you know like that they're at that place with each other yeah it was incredibly well done and even though a lot of it was kind of voiceover, there wasn't any kind of dialogue during the fight scene or anything like that. We, mm-hmm. were, we were listening to this other voiceover. They still managed to make it very emotional, um, extremely well done. And just all of yeah. the visuals that like we said with the lightning, the stormy effects, um, mm-hmm. which run all the way through and kind of increase uh, going on through until the scene that happens after this whole <laughs> intercut here. Um, absolutely spectacular. I just absolutely loved it. The dropping of the coin that yes. uh, spins on the floor. So Joe Chill... Um, is holding the Athenian coin right up to the last moment, and then it it drops um, right at basically the 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 very last few seconds before he's executed. And then we get this shot that just absolutely chilled me to the bone in the best way, where right before his um, execution, we get this very steady shot of his face. Um, and he looks so calm. Like he, mm-hmm. you know, he's very accepting of it. But then we, we can see that kind of slight uh tremble that he had in his hand walking up the corridor where he's holding this coin. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's almost as if like he's he's angry, but the fear is 
more revolved around that coin and the owls and what they have done and the strings that they're pulling than the actual death itself. Like, yeah. almost like he's more afraid of the owls and what they could do. And for him, death is a way out. Well, he's um, been waiting for this. Like, like he yeah. said to Turner earlier, you know, just take the easy way out. Like, yeah. they're going to kill you either way, but let them kill you quickly. Like, do, like, don't be like me and sit in a cell for 50 years, you know, like, just let them take you, which is such a bleak way of of looking at things and looking at this whole system. But it makes sense for somebody who was so thoroughly screwed over. Yeah, definitely. And and that final shot that we get of him where the, the camera is just steady on his face and and you know that he's about to be executed, and that's that's uh, shot lingers just long enough that you get that sense of like, oh god, they need to pan away. I don't want to see this. Like yeah. you just it kind of catches in your throat, and you're like, oh, please don't show that. And they do, <laughs> they do, they do cut away tastefully at like the very last <laughs> second, but it is enough to really kind of make it stick in your throat. <laughs> I, I um, definitely had the thought for a moment, it, uh, will the CW let them show this? Is that yeah. why we're lingering? And then I was like, nah. And then they cut away and I was like, yeah, okay, that's right. <laughs> like, but but yeah, it, it was really well done and it lingered just long enough that it really left an impact. It was so well done. And of um, course, while those two scenes are happening, um, Harvey is having some upsetting realizations. <laughs> of his own <laughs> again really <laughs> he's just he's just having a, a, a yet another really bad day <laughs> a really bad night i should say um yep. because he gets a, he gets an unexpected visitor uh who has some unexpected news about suspicions falling on him with relation to the owls which i think this might be the first time that anyone has actually said to harvey like outside of his own brain like hey you are actually doing all of these things and i'm on to you Yes. Um, and obviously he can see that, well, if Lincoln can work that out, then mm -hmm. clearly somebody else could. So that's that's a worry for him. Um, I hate how quickly Lincoln jumped to to that conclusion. Like, oh, you, you are trying to scare me, blah, blah. I'm just like, oh, I'm sorry. Lincoln is such a douche. Um, <laughs> if, if I didn't least hate favorite the character, character so much then I would say that he actually does have a point because if I didn't have all the mm -hmm. other context for what was going on and I just knew that the last person to take this coin out of evidence was Harvey and then all of a sudden it ends up in my possession, then like, yeah, I'm probably going to assume he has something to do with it. And also, he's not wrong. He's just not in possession of all the facts. No, he's not wrong. So we have, <laughs> we have to kind of let him off on that one. Yeah. And, you know, if he was less of a douche about it, maybe I'd be more sympathetic. But... <laughs> <laughs> I just like that Harvey's protest was essentially, I know that this doesn't look good. <laughs> and I know that there's you gotta trust me anyway. Like, you gotta yeah. trust me anyway, even though you have no reason to trust me. And in fact, you probably shouldn't if you're being yes, smart. <laughs> which mirrors what Turner said to him uh -huh. earlier on in the season, which I kind of love. Because at that point, Turner was like, look, I know you have no reason to believe me, yep. but I need you to. <laughs> That's yep. What it comes down exactly. to. So the tables be turned on Harvey. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and um uh, great suit, by the way. Lincoln's suit, just beautiful. Yes. A plus. Like, yeah. I mean, if if you have to have something horrific happen to you, <laughs> do it in style. Do it in style. Do it in nice suit. <laughs> That was always the running joke when I first um, started nursing school. Everybody always joked about, well, you should always, like, look nice when you leave the house. Because, like, if you get in a car accident, you don't want the ER staff to, like, be taking, like, terrible <laughs> clothes on. That was, that's some dark nurse humor there for you. 
that, but you know that has flavors here. of my grandmother telling me to make sure I always wear clean underwear when I leave the house because <laughs> you might get hit by a bus <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> on behalf of all nurses everywhere I can promise you that we won't care about what underwear you have on if you get hit by a bus I can I can sincerely promise it'll be like number 30 on the list of priorities in that moment <laughs> that would definitely be the least of my concerns so <laughs> I mean, I guess if you wore some like really, really noticeable underwear, maybe we'll talk about it in the break room. But other than that, no, don't worry about it. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> All right. This thunderstorm that comes out of this beautiful um intercut between between all of these scenes that have been happening we get this amazing lightning flash and then we are in this uh office room is it an office i don't know i was so like captured by harvey and lincoln in this scene i was like they were inside i don't know um <laughs> they, so they i need to go back room. they were in a room no, they, were, I, they were in I an office to, i think yeah i think they were i assume office. so because i think harvey leans on the desk at one point need, need yeah. to go back and appreciate the set designers work better there. <laughs> but um the lights, the lights all go out, and Lincoln um, delivers this line um, about the storm. And uh, Harvey notices that the lights are still on across the street, so it is mm-hmm. not the storm. The storm is a convenient cover mm-hmm. for what is about to go down. <laughs> and it's my absolute favorite costume again! Yay! <laughs> our our friend, the Talon, is uh, back from the dead again. Uh, and out for some very targeted revenge, we shall say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually did jump uh, when <laughs> when poor Lincoln got stabbed. Uh, I wasn't really expecting. I mean, I was expecting it, but I wasn't expecting it, and so I jumped a little bit there. Um, yeah. But I have I don't to think say, we can call that stabbed. Like we have to give credit. Yeah. Like he got full on skewered. Like we, we, he got kebobbed can, from behind. And we can talk about the fact from a from a nursing perspective. I need to put a pause on this. That man should not have lived. I'm I'm glad he did. <laughs> uh, the, the the internal bleeding alone, the amount of time it took them to get him to a hospital, the fact that that hospital looked like it's about two OSHA violations away from being shut down. There's no way. There's, Look, they've got a lot no going on in Gotham right now. <laughs> you could practically see the mold growing on the hospital wall, okay? No way that guy doesn't get some kind of major infection from being in the hospital with an open wound. Lincoln, survi- Lincoln survives the Talon but dies of MRSA a few <laughs> weeks later. Uh Honestly, believable. But, uh, but you know, I, I I was glad. I thought he just died right there. So when they were like, okay, he's in the ICU in like, you know, critical but stable condition. I was like, oh, great. Good for him. <laughs> I mean, that raises some very interesting questions. I'm uh-huh. curious how much he saw, what he will yeah. remember. Um, also, mm-hmm. if they're going to keep us hanging for a while, if being like, oh, he's not awake yet. Like, but when he is, stuff's going to come out. <laughs> like, I don't know yeah. if they're going to do that or if he's going to be awake next episode. Um, or if they're going to just leave us hanging for a while and then kill him off, give us some tension, give us some well, brody angst. The thing is, first of all, it's an it's an unsuccessful talent hit, which is mm-hmm. pretty rare. Um, yes. So that's got to be something that the owls will be concerned about, that their main method of taking people out is no longer as effective. Um, and then also, too, now he knows that the owls exist because this is proof, right? He was just attacked and Harvey was there but wasn't involved. So now you're thinking, okay, are they going to be sort of reluctant allies? Like, is he going to believe what Harvey's saying about all this going on or or not? Yeah, I I saw a lot of people um kind of contemplating and and theorizing saying okay but um 
did Harvey not have anything to do with it? Do we have like a fugue mm. state Harvey where, you know, actually he did have something to do with this hit? Um, that's true. I'm not sure that's what I'm feeling at this point, yeah. but I really do appreciate the creativity that this fandom has. Like they can come up with some amazing theories. Yes. Which is, which <laughs> I love so going fun. to see them after the episodes. I, I just like troll through Twitter and because I've already got like my own things in the back of my head. So I love kind of going to see, okay, does anybody agree with me? Am I completely out of left <laughs> field with this? Um, but yeah, I saw a lot of people theorizing that maybe um, you know, other Harvey had something to do with this, and maybe what we were seeing was more of a setup that Harvey knew more than he thought, that Harvey mm-hmm. called him to the office so that the Talon could do his job. Like lots of Lots of interesting thoughts there, which yes. I'm keeping in mind because I'm not I'm not wholly a- against that theory. Um, what I would what I would love is um, I love a good reveal at the end of something like that that something has been actually happening the whole time. Like for example, I'm about to spoil WandaVision if you haven't watched it yet, but like when you find out that it was Agatha all along pulling all the strings throughout the show. Or on the show Nancy Drew, they did an entire season where this character was going through all these weird things. And you were kind of like, this is very out of character. And then the last two episodes, you realize it's actually a supernatural creature causing all of it. And they actually went and flashed back and showed you all the times that you didn't notice that this creature was doing all these things. Yes. And so I, I would be, do that. <laughs> right? Like, I think it would be so cool if towards the end, they flash back and give us Dark Harvey setting up all these things like we get these little flashbacks to show how he was involved or what he, what he was up to i think that would be really cool if we could get a little bit of that um at some point at the end and i think this moment would be a great opportunity to kind of be like is he involved is he not involved what does he know what doesn't he know yeah because this this episode had a lot of subtle little things which gave mm-hmm. me questions um yeah. so first of all let's let's just briefly discuss this final closing scene because we simply cannot miss it (laughs) um so after um lincoln is rushed into the hospital which poor brody just has the worst timing he did not need to see that Um, poor brody yeah definitely felt sorry for him on that one good that he knew immediately his dad was was in trouble but uh Then we had a great confronted with that we had that lovely um hug between carrie and her mom which was so sweet um and i loved they had this this song playing underneath all of it um the song is called jackie kennedy and it's by bahari and i i loved it it was such a great yes, cue for the it moment it's so well i went and like looked up the lyrics to it after and like listened to it at all and i was like yes perfect it was it was so perfect so you get that like lovely little scene well i mean yes. not lovely for brody um but <laughs> lovely for Carrie lovely for us <laughs> lovely for us and then we immediately go to what is probably maybe my favorite shot that they've done so far on the show i looked it up later because i wanted to know how they did it and the fact that they did any of it with practical effects is so cool to me i just think it's that's amazing but we get the shot of harvey um (laughs) sort of sort of almost becoming two-faced in a way he doesn't but but it's it's getting closer and closer yeah and the way that they focus on the cracked mirror afterwards Mm -hmm. and you get these moments where it almost looks like the different parts of his face are moving independently in each of the cracked yes. sections so you have like multiple expressions and multiple things going on and you still have that whole you know one left side of the screen is darker one side is, is lighter mm-hmm. and the rest of it it's just so well done i know we have talked every single episode about how well the set design the lighting the costumes are embracing the the two-facedness of harvey 
Yes. Um, and it's only getting stronger with every episode, but this is definitely the most beautiful moment yet. Um, I think they had this at this shot in a promo, I want to say about two or three weeks ago. Yes. Um, and we've all been kind of dying to see it and see what led up to it and how it how it happened. Um, but it is spectacular. It's just a beautiful shot. Like you really have to give them some kudos to that it's so well done beautifully executed i i like you i love the fact that some of that was physical effects and they didn't just do okay well we'll cgi it it'll be fine there's something about like the the quality of physical effects when you're watching yes that i just absolutely love so absolutely brilliant shot to end the episode on <laughs> yes and it's setting up uh, setting us up nicely for the back half of the season as well because with a show like this where you have 13 episodes, like clearly this this is an arc that needs to last them almost the full 13 episodes. And I'm glad that our midpoint of Harvey's arc is that moment of punching the mirror. It really feels like a turning point moment for him. Yeah, he's quite literally cracking at this yep. point. Um, <laughs> and I, I love it. I have to, to briefly return to um, back when Joe Chill was telling them um, his story and explaining to them about the guy that was brought into the cell next to him and how they got talking about the Court of Owls. Um, and they bring up that that creepy rhyme again, which, mm-hmm. which keeps coming back. And they place the emphasis on that line that um, I can never remember because I always phrase it wrong. <laughs> but it is important that I do not. <laughs> um, about the the court are always watching but they use the word yeah. watches they don't use the word watching specifically it is phrased as watches which obviously got me thinking about that there has definitely been a watch theme throughout this yes. season um we've had baddies taking the watches from people we've had quite a few shots of watches we've had the owl coins on the back of the watches we know that mm-hmm. there are court of owls watches out there um i do think that that's probably connected to that it got me thinking about whether the court are listening in in some way on different people whether they Mm. have some way of tracking those watches or uh finding out information something like that who knows um or whether there's some way that the watches can be tracked in order to find the members of the court of owls yeah Uh, my second question is do we think that the governor himself is a member of the court of owls or is he just benefiting from it uh, I feel like the actual membership in the Court of Owls is probably pretty exclusive. Mm-hmm. At least that's the feeling that I get. Like, yes, there's there's quite a few of them, but like, I, I think it probably takes a little bit of a process before you're like fully in there. I would think that there's more people benefiting from the court than are actually yeah. on the court. I see them um, more and, as shadow people yeah. pulling the strings. Yeah. Like that they would not necessarily want to be in the forefront, which is why I'm still yeah. hesitating on saying that Harvey is a member or that Two-Face is a member. Um, I definitely think that Two-Face is fully aware of the court bells. Mm-hmm. Might um, be working with them. Yeah, but I, at the moment at least, I'm not seeing him as a member, just as someone that they are using. One of their, one of their faces, a piece of PR, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> um, and again, we saw Harvey with that like impressive square watch a few episodes back when he was removing it and we got that very clear shot of the watch when um the bomb was happening and everybody's mm-hmm. watches were being taken um and you know what else struck me this episode you know who else was wearing a watch that we got a shot of in this episode and it was another like slightly square-faced watch which kind of reminded me of harvey's a bit 
Um, and that was Brody. Hmm. I was just like, huh. I'm like, I'm noticing all these watches now. <laughs> the things this show does to me. Every time someone wears a watch, we're like, that's a clue. <laughs> <laughs> And it's I'm like sure that sometimes the showrunners just it's... sit there and like cackle, like, oh, these people look like, you know, they, they see things on Twitter where people are like talking about their theories and like, oh, that's so far off. That's hilarious. But it makes me that's... feel like, um, I don't know if you ever like were in English class or whatever, and we're like an annoying high schooler. And like, you know, your teacher's like, well, why would, you know, such like insert author here make this object green like what do you think they're trying to say and there was always at least one kid in class who would be like or maybe they just wanted the book to be green maybe it doesn't mean anything like it could just be that they like the color and i feel like with this show it's the opposite <laughs> where it's like every there isn't there are no random cho- choices everything means something <laughs> yeah and i mean i generally feel that way about tv in general like every single thing that we see on screen is someone's choice every word yeah. every yeah. set piece every costume um and I think this show, because of all the Easter eggs, especially, is being mm-hmm. a lot more open about that than many shows are. Yeah. Like you'll see the showrunners, the costume designers, um, the, the sound people, the, the writers just talking on social media afterwards and just being like, hey, did you see this part? I really liked this part. Let me tell you a cool fact about it. Yeah. Um, which is great. I'm I'm really, really loving that. Even with things that don't make it all the way to the screen, like mm-hmm. I uh, saw on Twitter that we had another appearance of our beloved intrepid reporter, Vicky Vale, in this Yay! episode. Um, and not a lot of that made it into the final cut, which is just, you know, it's one of those things that happens with TV. Yeah. But if anybody wants to read what Vicky Vale had to say, so all of these articles um, that Joe Chill had on his prison cell wall which were all about the wayne family which he'd kind of been tracking from inside the prison because that's not creepy at all um but if you want to go read those articles um andrea did put them out on her twitter so you can just get a little bit of a little bit of background information there which is pretty cool like another extra layer that we can get so really enjoyed that one and uh obviously as usual we had chad's amazing lego creations yeah my favorite this week because i have to pick a favorite every week um, he did a full recreation of Lincoln being skewered, including the sword going <laughs> through the Lego, <laughs> like through the little bend in the waist and right out the other side um, with an incredibly detailed Talon costume, uh, complete with cape later on. Like we we got some close ups yes. later on, um, which I believe uh, Jennifer May Nichol helped paint and create, which I is pretty so. cool. It's so awesome. It's just such a fun like. It's it's such a surprising, fun little thing that we get every week to get these little Lego creations. They're just exciting. They're interesting to look at. And again, it's just another indication that the people behind the show are just as nerdy as the people watching it. <laughs> yeah, like we love it. We're all nerds here in some in some capacity. We all have our own our own little areas. But I love the fact that we can all appreciate each other's. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We're a team, just like the Gotham Knights. <laughs> <laughs> And speaking of our our Gotham Knights team, um, next week's synopsis definitely implies that we're starting to get to a point where the Gotham Knights are taking on more cases of the week alongside their owl shenanigans, uh, which is very cool. Um, And I I assume will be a format that if we do get a season two, we'll kind of continue. Um, But what I really want to talk about next week is that our favorite 
old yes. lady. Eunice. Veronica Cartwright. We love you. Veronica Cartwright <laughs> is back uh, for more fun. Uh, and I love, so I, I can read a little bit of the synopsis here, but I love that it's Duella and Carrie once again going back to see Eunice. <laughs> The team up that I love so much. Uh, but so it says, after a series of art heists in Gotham, Turner and the Knights turn their attention to a possible connection to the Court of Owls. Meanwhile, Duella and Carrie seek answers about the talent from Eunice, and Rebecca turns to Harvey for help after fearing that her life is in danger. I would also fear that my life was in danger if I was Rebecca. I think <laughs> I think maybe yeah. we'll get a pretty to logical a fear. But I yeah, also that's... feel like that's not all she's turning to Harvey for. No. <laughs> <laughs> And good for you, ma'am. Good for you. (laughs) I mean, good for you, but also I would have absolutely dumped his ass by now. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. She clearly has terrible taste in men, though. She married Lincoln. Oh, right? (laughs) Just awful taste in men. Come on, lady. There's got to be someone else in Gotham for you to have an affair with. Anyone else, actually. (laughs) Just create an AU where she runs off with Stephanie's mom and (laughs) Stephanie's mom gets (laughs) clean and they live happily ever after. Okay. Please, that's that's their season two plotline. Actually, you've you've cracked the code. <laughs> <laughs> I need to take up TV writing. <laughs> but yeah, any kind of final thoughts on this episode? I mean, I I think I agree with everything we've said so far, and that it was such a cool character episode. It really felt like it was moving a lot of different people ahead emotionally, um, in really cool different ways. Yeah, this episode I think was one of the most visually impressive I mean I'm I'm mm-hmm. turning back to that intercut scene again with with the voiceover that like just really left an impression on me like I can tell hell already yeah. that's a scene that I am going to remember and going to want to go back and rewatch multiple times um and you know that I lots of different tv shows they have a specific scene or sequence that you always remember and think oh yeah like maybe that maybe I didn't like xyz that happened in that season but that scene that seems yeah, so yeah. good. Um, and that's definitely one of those for me. Like that was really impressive. Like we said, even more so knowing um that this was uh Nate's first TV episode. Like he really just came out this running. So <laughs> very excited to see where they go forward with that. Uh very excited to see like some of the, the threads that we're getting about the court getting more and more each time. I am sad. Mm-hmm that we will not get any more Doug Bradley. Um, but I mean, we've already seen just because something's dead, does it stay dead? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we did We did not technically see him die. So Doug Bradley mean... as the next Talon, maybe? <laughs> Joe you know, Chill Talon? You know what? That would be incredible. Um, and I hope that that actually is the case. <laughs> Especially since this t- current Talon is clearly sleeping on the job here and not not finishing everything there yeah. do we think talons get punished if they fail a job because i mean <laughs> failing is not a thing that they do like That's how do you true. punish a guy that is that old and clearly... <laughs> how do you punish an undead serial killer right <laughs> <laughs> hopefully they're not going to like break him apart and then make him pop himself back together again because oh, uh... that just the sound effects still make me cringe <laughs> Oh yeah that that was a good job by the sound effects team uh, but very gross <laughs> at the same yes. time so but yeah brilliant episode i think it's kind of obvious to say this was my favorite one so far right because you got <laughs> horror movie royalty in here why plus now? every other why actor. would this one be your favorite <laughs> <laughs> but i would agree i with could you. i could write I really a like thesis it. on 
horror movies and <laughs> Doug Bradley would appear in it a lot. Let's put it that way. Yeah. All right. But I do think that's it. Very much looking forward to next episode. Looking forward mm. to seeing Eunice again. She is my absolute favorite. <laughs> so. Yes. And no break for right now. We are back next week. Uh, so we will also be back next week. Very exciting. And that is it for this week's episode of Your Bad is Dead. Be sure to tune in next week for all the twists and turns on Gotham Nights. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Your Bad is Dead, and our show is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to head to Nerds and Beyond for all your nerdy news and a variety of fandoms, including Gotham Nights. This show is produced by Mal Windsor and Jules Thompson for Nerds and Beyond, and our theme music is by Kennedy Lynch. 